What's up, BanterFam? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, host, Miles, and today we have a very special guest. We have Michael Kong, the CEO of Phantom, joining us. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Miles. Yeah, thanks again for uh, having me. No, I really appreciate it. Last time we got to chat um, was, well, I actually saw you in London, but last year we had, a, we had a chat on the channel. Since then, obviously, a lot has gone down. So today I want to ask you about uh, the future of Phantom, what you're working on, what you're building, what you're excited about, what you think of the L1 space in general, and also, you know, give us a bit of an update on on what's been going on on the Phantom side. I think it, it's going to be really insightful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, happy to answer any questions that you have and talk about anything you want. Awesome. So I think like the best way to start would be just to rewind a little bit. Obviously, 2021 was you know a crazy year for Phantom and the ecosystem. And then heading into January 2022, you know, Phantom was on top of the world. We had that huge influx in TVL, solidly was launching. I just wanted to ask you, like, how did, how did that feel at the time? How did it feel being on top of the world in, in January? And, um, you know, what lessons did you take out of that period? Well, I, I wouldn't really describe it as like being on top of the world. You know, I, I don't like to get, um, I don't like to have, you know, these things like go to my head. If, you know, apparently things have been, you know, uh, doing well. I like to try and get myself like level-headed. So what I was thinking when January 2022 was, you know, that perhaps we might be at the top actually of that cycle, right? Because, you know, of, of a number of indicators, um, but obviously like there was a lot of like excitement and interest in Phantom, you know, for like kind of the reasons that you mentioned there. Um, and then obviously, you know, there were macroeconomic events, there were specific events to Phantom that happened where, um, you know, the, the traction sort of like went down, you know, at least for like a period of time, right? And I think that was the same you know, not, not just for Phantom, to be fair, I think with like a whole bunch of other projects, um, you know, I can talk about more of the Phantom specific, specific stuff. You know, I think obviously like what people know the most about that happened really early on in uh, 2022 was the fact that Andre like no longer like was public anymore, right? Like he stopped working on DeFi stuff. He like stopped being a little public on, on Phantom. And what I mean by not being public on Phantom is that he was like still working behind the scenes on you know, a bunch of stuff, but didn't really want to work on it publicly or, or, or talk about it publicly. And that was for like a number of reasons that I'm not going to really go into because those were sort of like private conversations, but there were some like pretty legitimate reasons as to like why that happened, right? But obviously, you know, he spent some time, you know, taking care of himself and, and doing some work in the background. And then later on in, you know, October slash early November, you know, he decided to be like more public again. And this time, was actually quite different from before because before you know as you mentioned before he was working on a variety of different projects he was working on uh, solidly he was working on you know prior DeFi projects and he was working on phantom this time around he's working just on phantom you know he's not working on any DeFi projects anymore to my knowledge he's you know maybe he's advising you know here and there but in, but in reality he's just really focused on phantom and he's come on board as the director of the phantom foundation and he is like leading a lot of our efforts you know, a lot of technical efforts, for example, like gas monetization, account abstraction, which we could maybe get into ideas that fundamentally like came from his side. Um, and, you know, he's working very closely, you know, monitoring how the progress is going, say with like the new middleware that we've got coming out. And so this time he is, you know, not splitting his focus between multiple projects. He's really just focusing on Phantom itself. And I think that's what's really, really exciting uh, this time around. Yeah, so basically you're saying like Andre's more involved than ever. Like, would you say he's more involved than what he was in uh, late 2021 and early 2022? Uh, I, I would say specifically in relation to Phantom, uh, that is the case. I mean, to be clear, he was always like very much in call for Phantom. In fact, a lot of people don't, maybe don't really understand like the, ho the whole history of Phantom, but he was the one that really laid the, the groundwork for the existing technology or the mainnet that we have now, right? He's the one that like had the initial ideas, worked on it a lot, working it with a few people on our team and basically has allowed the team to take over that code base and really develop in the technology a lot further to where it is like to this day. So Andre has been involved with Phantom quite a lot from the very beginning, um, from like, you know, early 2018 till now. So what is that like almost five years? And, you know, he did a lot of work um, with, with our treasury as well. So obviously we did our token raise and in, 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 in early 2018, early to mid 2018, the market conditions were not great. You know, we had to kind of like make our money back and he helped like manage the treasury by getting us involved in DeFi very, very early on. Obviously he himself was one of the like very early pioneers of DeFi. So he's contributed to Phantom in, in multiple ways, you know, helping to grow the treasury, 
helping on building the uh, the initial underlying technology and helping to like introduce more like technical ideas for Phantom, as well as of course like it has to be said he has quite a big he has quite a big following right so you know that obviously has drawn attention to Phantom in many positive ways and he's gone out there and really just talked about Phantom and why people should deploy on Phantom and sort of like everything that we've got going um, ahead of ourselves. Nice. I even saw he was replying to some of the comments in my tweet, um, like giving some reasons behind why he, why he's, uh, you know, very optimistic about the future of Phantom and what you're working on. I want to keep on on the 2022 um, subject before we get into like some of the future upgrades you've got going on to obviously your middleware and stuff like gas monetization. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say like your top two or three biggest learnings were from from last year? Because obviously it was a crazy year. We had you know the Terra collapse we had ftx we had 3ac you know block fire celsius obviously as well phantom experienced amongst um some macroeconomic headwinds some downside you know what were your biggest takeaways well um you know my biggest takeaways and i i don't just like to talk about specifically 2022 um but also 2021 because you know even though 2021 was you know a very good year for many crypto projects in general and also for phantom you know there the were a lot of mistakes made that we could have like learned from right so you know, combining 2021, 2022, what we have done in retrospect, <laughs> well, I think um, launching like FUSD in the way that we launched was kind of a bit of a mistake. We should have launched it. Definitely, we wanted to go ahead with it, with auctions and liquidations, not just uh, letting it um, uh, go out there without having like some sort of like, you know, system to help like stabilize um, like FUSD. And we saw that, you know, what people ended up doing was that, you know, they generated like massive leverage on FUSD and, you know, with the price of like FTM fluctuating, um, that wasn't really good for like FUSD, right? So we should have definitely launched it a lot better. Um, with regards to like um, like developing applications in the Phantom network, um, we kind of like initially thought in 2021 that we should have uh, developed our own like NFT marketplace because there weren't really NFT marketplaces on Phantom at that point in time. And obviously other chains had some. And so we kind of worked on ours and we didn't roll it out really that well. And even if we if, if, if you assume that we rolled it out really, really well, or even if that really were the case, um, we kind of like learned a mistake, which was we shouldn't be building applications on the Phantom network. What we should be focusing on is like the core underlying technology or the improvements with security and scalability and focusing on the tooling to allow developers to build applications on the Phantom network. Because in the end, our target audience are developers. You get the users that generate the transactions on the network. So that was an important lesson. And of course, you know, we had the opportunity to kind of like fundraise a bit more, um, you know, in, in better macroeconomic conditions, so to speak. Obviously, in retrospect, you know, we would have liked to have raised a, a bit more money at, you know, um, you know in, in better market conditions. That being said, you know, we still managed to take, you know, money off the table and have a very, very like sustainable and powerful, I guess, like treasury or war chest going forward. You know, a lot of that has to, has to be said was due to Andre and some of it obviously was like due to luck. Um, so I think... Like, you know, we have a very sustainable, you know, treasury right now where we haven't maybe spent as much as other projects that are out there. And, you know, we basically have like a very, very long runway where we can basically achieve our goals over the long term, no matter, you know, what the fluctuations are and in crypto or the macroeconomic conditions as a whole. Nice. Um, I just wanted to touch on something you said. You said maybe you didn't raise as much fundraising as you would have liked. Is there is there a reason for that? Or Because I think one of the criticisms of Phantom maybe in the past was, look, there's a lot of other projects with, you know, significant backing, um, you know, obviously the likes of Solana, AVAX, and then you've got some of the new ones like Aptos and Sui doing multi-billion dollar valuation raises or raises of three, four hundred million dollars against those valuations. Is there a reason why Phantom maybe hasn't, um, hasn't, gone after that kind of you know heavy vc backing approach or fundraising approach well you know we have raised a bunch of money um you know on a number of occasions but obviously like we haven't raised as much as like other projects like you've mentioned um the reason why is because like you know when you do like vc fundraising it's kind of like a bit of a double-edged sword right like obviously if you have like you know like vcs that are heavily investing in your project you know they, they can have a lot of influence which is both good and bad you know, you know, they can be incentivized to help grow and develop your ecosystem much more. But also at the same time, you know, they may encourage you to make decisions that maybe you didn't want to like really make in the end, right? So part of the decision was like about like independence, so to speak. Um, the other reason is because we were already like very confident that we were, we were having a lot of traction like on our, uh, by ourselves. And we already had like a very like um, powerful treasury as we do to this day. 
but obviously in retrospect, and I say in retrospect or hindsight, because there's, everything is always easy in hindsight. You always want to raise more money in a better market conditions than not less, yeah. um, than less um, good market conditions, right? That being said, we also didn't really need the money at the time. You know, it's not like we're, we were strapped for cash at the time. It's not like we're strapped for cash now. You know, even like in 2022, we had more opportunities for VCs to invest. Obviously, you know, we'd be investing in, you know, less economic good times than, uh, than previously in 2021. But that being said, you know, we didn't really need the money as well to kind of like achieve the objectives that, that we wanted. So, you know, it wasn't a mistake, you know, raising money, you know, not raising money in high valuations. Yeah, potentially, because then you would, you would have an even bigger war chest. That being said, you know, there are costs associated with that. There are trade-offs. And I think overall, you know, we're, we're just fine. You know, from a financial point of view, we don't really need to do much of a raise, if at all. Okay. Yeah, you. Yeah, I think that that's a fair point as well. And um, I wanted to touch off the back of that in terms of like VC funding. Another another thing that that's talked about in the scheme of um, you know, what constitutes L one success is like BD and business development. There's an interesting tweet from Juan that I want to bring up now. Um, and he's obviously your new head of marketing, and he he has lots to say on this front. Um, he posted this meme about um, Phantom, uh, you know, not going after pointless biz dev partnerships. So I was wondering if you had an opinion on, obviously, like we've seen companies like Matic pursue like crazy, like biz dev partnerships. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on these partnerships. Like what do they actually mean? Do they mean anything? And, you know, does Phantom consider those type of deals? Or yeah, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on what Juan's saying. Well, fundamentally, um, what what is really important is having sustainable chain, right? And what, what that comes down to, and we've had a lot of discussion internally with this, and, I, and I've had with, with Andre directly as well, is that the, the only way that you have a sustainable business model for an L1, in my opinion, or any like independent chain, is that the, the chain generates enough transaction fees such that being a validator or validating a processing, securing transactions on the network is profitable, while at the same time, there's enough users who are deriving enough value, you know, interacting with applications on the chain, you know, whether it's in DeFi, whether it's NFTs, whether it's gaming, such that they are willing to pay transaction fees. And what you want to do is you want to have the average transaction fee cost per user very, very low, but you want to have it such that when you aggregate it with the totality of transactions on the network, that the transaction fees in total for the validators is as high as possible, right? Because then, you know, you're rewarding the validators as much as possible while you keep costs low for the user as much as possible. And the way that you achieve that technically is, you know, for um, with all these improvements in scalability, you know, that's why we're spending a lot of resources and time and most of the team are engineers that are working on, you know, core and middleware development because that increases network throughput. And increasing network throughput means that you can generate more revenue for the chain and get more users. And so the reason I mention all of this is because every partnership that we want isn't just like, we don't just want it for the name, right? Because, you know, it looks good. It's a big name. You know, we wear it on our sleeves or anything like that. But if the partnership can generate dApps or an application that deploys on chain where they can get their users to interact with that chain and, you know, to generate like, um, you know, transaction fees for the network and have those users sticky. In other words, like, you know, they join the network and they're not just there for that one application, but they realize that there's a whole bunch of other applications with Phantom and then they engage in many different applications of Phantom, submitting as many transactions as possible. Those are the sorts of partnerships that we're looking for, right? And that's why, yeah. like, you know, a lot of our work is around, you know, uh, explaining to, like, different companies and organizations out there, okay, what are the potential use cases that you're interested in? How can we help you out? And how can we, like, help you deploy an application on-chain? Um, so I think like what some other companies have done is they paid a lot of money to companies, um, you know, way too much money, I, in my opinion, to get, you know, a name or a brand on board or mm. for the promise of like, oh, an application somewhere down the future, uh, down the line. But it's very unclear, like what that application would actually entail and how it would actually benefit the end user in the end or the company that you're talking about. As kind of like Andre mentioned in like November 2022 in one of his um, um, post. He said that we were approached and a company actually wanted about a hundred million dollars for, for us to work with them. And what were they wow. like promising us? Like kind of like really vague stuff like, oh, you, you get to use a brand name, um, you know, you get access to like some users. Oh, but like what, what about like applications on chain? How does it actually benefit Phantom? Oh, you know, we're a big brand, so you'll just get some traction. It wasn't anything uh, specific, yet mm -hmm. they asked us for a hundred million dollars. And I know that other, um, 
projects out there have literally paid that amount of money. And people were kind of shocked when, when Andre like posted that it was $100 million, but it's true. And it, it's true that other chains have also paid that amount of money. And we believe that $100 million can be better well spent you know, on engineering, on real partnerships, on hiring uh, good people to get us you know, um, uh, the growth that we need. Yeah, I want to touch on that document. Um, I think you're referencing that Medium article that Andre posted, and he obviously went through the financials, and there were some like shocking lines in there, one of which was the $100 million line. Um, one of the other things he said is how well positioned you were. He said you have roughly 30 years of runway based on like current burn rate. Um, is that, is, is that, would, would you agree with that timeline around 30 years and, um, how are you positioning yourself to have, you know, such a strong runway? Cause compared to other projects, it seems like that's, you know, pre- a pretty high, high amount of time. Yeah. Um, so that 30, if you, that 30 year runway number was kind of like based on a few assumptions, right? It's based on the assumption that, you know, um, you know, cryptocurrency prices and, and the market conditions were, would be exactly the same for 30 years and that, you know, we will continue at our current burn rate. But in reality, the news is actually a bit better than that because the treasury that we have, you know, FTM, non-FTM, is not just sitting there, you know, doing absolutely nothing, right? You know, it's earning a yield. You know, we participate in various DeFi protocols, as I mentioned before. Um, we have some traditional investments in, you know, uh, like stocks and treasuries and real estate and kind of have like, have like diversified our treasury. So it's not just 100% in crypto, but like across the, like different assets, crypto and non-crypto. And so in terms of like actual runway, it's like a lot longer than that. And we've actually like Andre put out a tweet recently where we've actually hired like a whole bunch of new developers um, just this year alone in the past two months. And we'd be kind of like fortunate on the hire. So we're, we're, we're hiring, whereas like other projects out there might be cutting. And we are, you know, like accelerating our engineering uh, development in particular. So you'll see more and more, um, uh, more and more releases at a faster rate simply because we have the manpower to kind of like um, uh, work on the backlog that we have. And so the 30-year 30, 30 runway is actually a lot uh, a lot further than that um, because we are generating cash flow for ourselves to kind of fund our operations. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the um, our expenditures eating into our principal. It, it's not, or it's not really that much. And, and and so it's actually longer than 30 years. And and the reason why it's you know longer than, say, maybe other projects out there is because we simply haven't spent as much money as other people. You know, as I mentioned before, there have been um, or, um, organizations or, or companies that have literally spent like $100 million on a single partnership, and we have not done that. And so, you know, when we don't spend that sort of money, you know, we can continue with the runway that we have at the moment, like well into the future. All right. So, let's get into the tech then. Let's talk about, firstly, I want to ask you, what makes Phantom different from other L1s? So, the fundamental uh, difference is that we focus on like the base chain and optimizing the base chain. So what I mean by that is increasing the scalability, uh, working on like improving consensus, working on um, in, improving the middleware, um, you know, talking about like a new phantom virtual machine and new storage system we've got coming out. Um, that's been worked on by a lot of people who are experts in those fields of research, like academically and industry speaking. And so that's very different from other chains out there that um, try to scale via creating application specific chains right and what i mean by that is that you know instead of optimizing the base chain to say hey you know you can just deploy like a derivative or a variation of the existing mainnet and run your application on there and you'll be able to submit transactions so much faster and it'll be like really cheap etc and that's true but uh, but what's the trade-off well the trade-off is you're simply trading security for performance right why because um all the validators who are validating the main chain don't just automatically start validating your subnet or your application chain, right? <laughs> you have to create your own validator set. You have to maintain your own application chain and you have to do that while at the same time developing your own application and getting users for the application. Well, for Phantom, you know, you deploy on the main chain and the main chain only. And that means that all of the validators and all of the security of the main chain, you get a, you get 100% of the benefit, right? And that also means that you don't have to worry about um, um, you don't have to worry about like uh, the underlying technology. You don't have to worry about consensus. You don't have to worry about running your own chain. All you have to worry about is deploying your application on Phantom and um, basically growing your application, improving it over time. And all the benefits that you get with extra performance down the line, like I've kind of like illustrated at a higher level, you know, you get that all entirely for free. You don't have to worry about that. The upgrade will happen automatically, you know, after you run a few commands and bam, you know, your application will run even faster and better than it already is. 
And, you know, fabulous technology is, I think, in a great state at the moment, um, but it only gets better from here, right? You know, there's still a lot of scalability issues to solve at the consensus and middleware level, but we have a very clear plan as to like what exactly the problems are and how to solve them. And there'll be a lot more developments coming, particularly in the second half of 2013 deployments to the mainnet, where if you're an application developer, you get all of the benefits of it and you don't have to worry about running your own chain essentially. And that, that is the difference. Nice. I think FVM as well is probably the, the, the main differentiator. So could you explain a little bit um, more about, yeah, what's happening with the, with the Phantom Virtual Machine? Obviously, it's been in your, in your pipeline for a couple of years now, but it seems like we're getting closer and closer. Yeah, so um, the Phantom Virtual Machine or the FVM, as it's commonly known, is not just like the only like, performance improvement that's happening on the middleware stack, right? And what I mean by the middleware is basically the smart contract execution engine. Because when you execute a smart contract on, say, like Ethereum or Phantom, right? Um, it doesn't just like, um, it, the, when you submit a transaction to the network, it doesn't just like go straight to consensus and be confirmed, right? It has to be executed by um, another like layer on top of it. And that's called the middleware, right? So it's this like software layer that like nodes run where they have to do a whole bunch of computations in order to actually execute the smart contract and actually like um, send and receive data um, back to the chain. And then, you know, the consensus steps happens where, you know, all the nodes kind of sync to make sure that they all have like a consistent uh, chain in the end, right? And so when you think about like processing a transaction, it's not just about consensus. It's about like a whole bunch of different parts of the technical stack. And one of the big bottlenecks that hasn't been addressed in the past has been on the middleware because the Ethereum virtual machine is quite slow for a number of reasons. But the actual like real component that is slow about transaction processing has to do with the storage system. <laughs> because like basically as the chain grows bigger, um, it becomes progressively slower to like read and write information to storage, right? So the way that you actually store data on chain is very inefficient. And that's because of a structure that's used by Phantom and Ethereum and other chains at the moment um, <clears throat> called the Merkle Patricia try. And so what we want to do is we discovered, you know, like a way to basically eliminate this Merkle Patricia try and have a new storage system in place such that you get substantially like reduced storage costs um, via like a variety of different methods, including like compression, and you get much faster read and write times. And much faster read and write times means that your transactions basically process faster, right? Um, it means that, you know, your time to finality goes down. It means that your network throughput goes up. And that is, in the end, what we talk about in terms of scalability. So what have we been working in the area? Well, we actually have our Phantom Virtual Machine developed. We actually have a new storage system already developed. And I did demonstrate, um, or I did, like, talk about it a bit uh, last month at, uh, at a conference, specifically, like, what the performance numbers are right now. And when you're talking about, like, a fully optimized, um, like, validator node, your storage can be reduced by almost 98%. And that sounds kind of crazy, but that is the numbers that we're actually seeing right now. And I'm, and, and this, and these results were not just on, you know, test net data, wasn't on fake data or anything like that. It was on real mainnet data where we've actually developed a tool where we can see, where, where we can test against mainnet data really, really fast, much faster than other projects out there. Because usually when you test on mainnet data, when you replay all the transactions from scratch, it's sequential, it's very, very slow. You know, it could take, you know, two to three weeks to do a full run on the Phantom Network. But we have actually a new tool that we developed that is peer-reviewed that we actually published a paper on, originally deployed on Ethereum that we've taken to Phantom, where you can basically, like, do testing within a matter of hours instead of a matter of, like, two to three weeks. And, and this constant testing has allowed us to kind of optimize, okay, this is, like, the best result that we will get deploying a certain technology stack on the Phantom Network. And so we actually have all of this technology developed. And so what are we um, developing now? We're developing further technology to do with archive nodes. So these are nodes that have the full transaction history that are not pruned. Um, you know, it's a similar concept to archive nodes that you have on Ethereum. And, you know, we're also starting to already plan out like, our mainnet launch. So we're figuring out, okay, because we're fundamentally changing a big component of the Phantom ecosystem, how do we actually swap over the technology in a very like, you know, safe and efficient manner? And that will be a lot of work which is why like our objective is to deploy this new technology or a variation of this new technology towards the end of the year. So probably in like the second half of the year. So a lot of this technology is actually already built and we already have a lot of results um, uh, generated. And, and the intention of um, the team as well is to have these results peer reviewed. So, you know, you don't just have to trust us. You don't have just, just have to believe the numbers that we're putting out there, but we'll have like an academic paper that's peer reviewed. 
and we also have all of the code open source. So people can scrutinize themselves to see, you know, how real it is and to test it themselves. But the numbers that we've been able to generate are absolutely phenomenal and actually better than we initially thought. And so when we deploy this on the Phantom mainnet, you know, you'll instantly or you should very quickly like see that particularly with to do with smart contract based transactions, you'll see the performance just increase dramatically. And and that's what um and that is like what we're working on right now. Are there any trade-offs to using like your own virtual machine versus the the EVM? There, is it like a security trade-off or is it? Uh, um, well, with regards to the virtual machine, not really, because the optimizations that we made with the virtual machine and the virtual machine, based on our analysis, uh, um, accounts for maybe like you know fifteen percent of the slowness of the network. It's really eighty percent has to do with the storage. So a lot of the optimizations have mm-hmm. actually been done more so in the storage. Uh, not 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 as much on the on the Phantom virtual machine. That being said, we've been doing a lot of optimizations on the Phantom virtual machine as well, because you know if we optimize storage a lot, then the um you know then uh the component that takes up the most time you know might actually end up being the virtual machine itself. Uh, but the optimizations that we've been using for the virtual machine are basically optimizations that are quite well known in the programming languages or the virtual machine space. So so these are not like really wacky or crazy ideas where. You know, we're not really sure if they work in the end or they might have some sort of fatal flaw. These are optimizations that I won't get into too much technical detail, like include, for example, the idea of super instruction sets. And that means that, you know, instead of executing like three or four or five transactions, you know, you can, or, 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 or um, sequences in the virtual machine, you can combine that into like a single instruction. So, you know, if you execute something once as opposed to five times, that is like faster intuitively, right? And this is a concept that's actually quite well known in the space. And so we're just taking a lot of these like well-known like optimizations in the virtual machine field and applying it to the new Phantom virtual machine. And the reason why the EVM doesn't have those optimizations is probably because, um, you know, when they were designing the EVM, they had to work on a lot of different components, right? The Ethereum team, because this was, that was like the first like smart contract chain out there, right? So they had to build the Ethereum virtual machine from scratch. They had to build the compiler from scratch from Solidity. They had to build all of these components from scratch. And they probably didn't have time to make all of these additional optimizations because they had already so much work on the plate. So, you know, Ethereum was very revolutionary because it's a very first smart contract distributed um, platform out there in the world, right? But, you know, we can lean on their shoulders and say, okay, they've done a fantastic job in many ways, but there's additional benefits that we can have on top of it to make their work a lot better than it already is. And that's basically like what, what we've done. Um, it's something like actually like super crazy from a very like technical point of view. I saw, I, I just wanted to touch on the, the technicals as well. I saw um, Juan posted, this is the document that Andre posted that alludes to what you were saying about 98% less storage. It also says that you can achieve transaction rates 8.1 times faster um, on Phantom versus Geth. Is that like roughly what you're seeing around an 8x improvement in transaction speed? Yeah, that's right. And um, this data chart that you're looking at, basically you're testing on mainnet data from about the um, you know the beginning of the chain or the, or the first block all the way up to the 40 millionth block, right? And if you go to the Phantom Explorer itself, you know, it, we've done it, I think, a bit like over like 50 million blocks right now. And so we actually have done testing on the entire chain from zero blocks or the first block to 50 million blocks. But this data is just from like like one to 40 because we ran some new tests like around that period of time and this is data that we had available. And so what you're seeing here are basically like two lines, right? And and, and the top line is like the Phantom line with the new storage system and the new Phantom virtual machine combined together. And so this is like the combined performance result. And the line you've got at the bottom there is Geth. And, and what is Geth? Well, Geth is like an Ethereum client that we've adapted for Phantom to basically allow us to communicate, say, with like the middleware stack, right? So it's like basically the status quo that we have, right? It's Phantom consensus combined with the Ethereum virtual machine combined with the Merkle Patricia try. It's what we have right now, right? So you can see, you know, just visually that like, you know, the, um, the performance of the new technology, you know, can kind of fluctuate over time. And that's largely due to like the different types of transactions that you're processing. <laughs> so obviously like some pro, um, some transactions um, uh, that are smart contract based, you know, you can optimize more than other depending on the complexity of it. B- 
because essentially the more complex complicated the transaction, the more optimizations you can make, right? You know, if you're just doing very, very simple transactions that account to account, you're not really going to get that many optimizations. But if it's a lot of really complicated smart contract transactions, you get a lot more optimizations. And that's why you see like a lot of variation in the performance, mm -hmm. why it's not just like a straight line on top and on bottom, right? And so, but you can see visually that even though it fluctuates quite a bit, um, fundamentally the line is always substantially um, higher than the line below, right? In other words, like pretty much in every case, the new fashion technology is a lot faster than the existing technology that we have. And that gives you like a rough estimate of like an eight times performance like you see on the chart on the bottom left. Will, um, will this affect gas fees at all? Like, is this going to impact yeah, the price of gas on chain or, or do you have other implementations that will affect gas fees directly? Well, well gas fees on chain are, you know, determined in, in the end by the validators, right? Because they're the ones that set the price, you know, in, in the end, gas fees are about supply and demand, right? So theoretically, you know, all other things being equal, you know, you could see the gas fees go lower, but then again, it's, you know, set by the validators. And I don't think, you know, gas fees really need to go much lower than they already are because they already are like very, very low, right? Um, and we, we've actually seen that uh, when we had gas fees set um, by the validators like 10 times higher than they already were, you know, people were still submitting pretty much the same level of transactions they are. So that kind of tells us that transactions are actually kind of underpriced on Phantom compared to like how much people are willing to pay for it. Um, so, you know, for us, it's not so much like, oh, we need to go from like, you know, 0.01 cents to 0.0001 cents or anything like that. I, I'm not really concerned about like transaction fees on the network. What I'm more concerned about is like, can we hot, uh, can we maintain higher transaction throughput, right? Because if we can maintain a higher transaction throughput, it means that we can have a lot more users on chain, having a much better um, experience, having like no time to finality, not really having these bottlenecks like you've like people have previously seen on Phantom, or having substantially reduced number of bottlenecks, and 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 also being able to process a lot more transactions means that you can generate a, a lot more transaction fees in, in aggregate for the validators in the end. And it also means that, you know, for a given level of hardware, uh, validators don't need, uh, the cost of running the hardware becomes cheaper over time, right? Why? Well, take, for example, like the storage number that um, was on your screen, right? You know, if you reduce storage, it means that you don't need to have as much disk space as, as you currently do, right? And if you reduce the amount of disk space, that means that the amount you have to pay to run a validator goes down, right? And so over time, we should see the cost of running a validator actually go down as the optimizations um, 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 uh, take place on the network, right? And so in the end, our hope is that the cost of running a validator goes down, but the earnings of the validator go up substantially. And that, and if we can achieve that, it means that we have a sustainable business model. So what happens at the point where, and this is not just relative just to Phantom, it's relative to a lot of proof of stake um, type blockchains. What happens when you're essentially like emissions schedule runs out and like the the, the phantom supply is fully diluted. Do you how do you how do you derive um, rewards for for validating the network? Then is it solely through like gas fees? I guess through revenue. It, yeah, well, well, there's there's a number of like you know different ideas around this, but in the end, what it really comes down to when the the new emissions of the block rewards are ended is it really comes down to transaction fees, like first and foremost, right? <laughs> so over the next few years, if we can have the network generate substantial enough transaction fees through better technology and a lot more interest on chain then you have a sustainable business model, as I mentioned before, because the business model is kind of similar to like a transactional fee-based business model that you have, for example, like traditional payment systems, right? So how, how did like Visa and MasterCard make money, right? Well, they make money because they get a kind of the transaction fees or like say American Express. But the real difference with blockchain technology is that it's not like a centralized company that's validating the transactions. It's all the validators on the network located around the world. And in addition to that, you know, the blockchain networks, I think, you know, can be used for payments, and that's a very good use case. But not only can blockchain transactions be used for payments, but they can be used for all sorts of di uh, different applications, as you and your audience know, you know, decentralized finance, NFTs, etc. And so you basically have this network where, you know, if people are willing to pay transaction fees to, you know, you know interact with other protocols in a, in a peer-to-peer manner, then you have like a sustainable business model. And that's exactly what we're trying to aim to achieve over the next few years. And, and and if we can achieve that, then I think we're in a very happy position. What do you think Phantom's main use cases are? Where do you see, what sectors are you really interested in and you think Phantom could make a difference? Uh, well, the most popular use cases right now have to do with like decentralized finance and 
NFT related activity, as is probably the case on many other chains. And that's just because, yeah. you know, that's what people are interested in doing. You know, I'd say like number one, you know, useful phantom right now are, you know, decentralized finance applications. You see a lot of people do swaps. You see a lot of people do lending and borrowing. You see people um, now engaging in, you know, various forks of GMX. Um, that's like seems to be the primary use case at the moment. I think use cases in the future will include um, more like uh, gaming related activities. So we uh, we have had a bunch of games deployed on Phantom. Um, to be honest, none of them have really taken off like with like a large number of users at the moment. <clears throat> but there is the potential for like even one or a few games where um, where that can happen. And we are introducing like a new um, uh, a new mechanism called gas monetization, where you know we encourage people to you know deploy applications that are popular on chain because you basically get like a rebate or fifteen percent of the fee transaction fees that you generate back to yourself as well. It's very similar to like the YouTube like monetization model that currently exists because it seems to have been like quite successful. And we also have ideas around, um, you know, having applications be able to pay uh, to trans the transaction fees for users that interact with the application. Because sometimes it's a case that, you know, there are non-crypto users that, you know, want to start using like, um, you know, blockchain, but don't realize that you have to pay transaction fees and how that kind of works. And so you kind of want to reduce the friction for, new time users where they can interact with the application without initially having to pay full transaction fees while they figure out, you know, exactly how like the blockchain technology works. And so, yeah, in, in the end, like, like that's, that's what we're really working on. Speaking of like um, the Phantom DeFi ecosystem and some of the dApps on the eco, do you have any like specific dApps that, that you're really excited about yourself on Phantom and that you really enjoy using, or maybe they're not released and you're really looking forward to them? Yeah, um, like first and foremost, I think we have a very like high number, um, like high quality, like decentralized finance applications out there. Um, I, I won't name specific names. I was, people will say like, oh, why didn't you mention this name or that name? I mean, if you yeah. go to, for example, to DeFi Llama, you know, you can see like a lot of the applications that people were using on the Phantom Network with, with regards to DeFi. On NFTs, um, you know, there are like a few like metaverses and games being deployed there. I think we had like a tweet thread from, a couple of months ago that kind of outlines like the sort of games that people have been deploying all across from like MMOs to metaverses to first person shooters to a variety of different games. Now, you know, none of them have really like taken off with substantial number of users to be fair, but they are like being deployed on Phantom and, you know, do have a lot of potential. So, you know, a lot of the applications as I mentioned being used on Phantom are like DeFi and NFT related. Um, in the future, I think you're going to see like more supply chain management applications. You're going to see perhaps like you know, uh, uh, P2P insurance protocol is being deployed. You know, as I mentioned before, like I think P2P insurance has um, like a lot of benefits compared to like centralized or traditional based insurance. We haven't really seen that take off yet. Maybe that's a few years away. I don't know. Um, but I think yeah, you said that last year as well. We need, well, I think that's like a, like maybe like a 10 year, yeah. 10 year play that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite complicated to implement like a successful model theoretically, but you know, it's something that I am like particularly personally myself bullish in. And I did actually like look at how you'd, you would potentially do it like a few years ago, although obviously I never ended up doing it. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there are probably like a few uh, other unknown use cases out there that, you know, I haven't mentioned or people would, haven't really talked about that may, you know, be used by, um, uh, that, that may use blockchain technology. So if, if you're a developer, and you're kind of looking at like what chain you want to develop on. Obviously, like Ethereum makes a lot of sense just due to like the diverse developer ecosystem over there. Then also maybe um, like so, like a newer chain like Aptos and Sui, maybe that makes sense due to like the move programming language and the incentives they have. What is Phantom's real attraction for a, for a new developer to go? Oh, you know, I want to build on I want to build on Phantom. I want to deploy my DApp on Phantom versus. Um, you know, versus Ethereum, AVAX, Solana, Aptos, etc. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and it kind of like hops back to like my previous answers. Like, why would a developer want to deploy on Phantom? Well, first and foremost, if you're already familiar with deploying on Ethereum, you'll be very familiar with deploying on Phantom. Because even with the new middleware coming down the line, it will all be like Solidity and, and, and Viper compatible, right? It will all be compatible with the existing um, smart contract languages that people are used to. And what that means is that from a developer's point of view, you can take advantage of like new improvements being made to the base chain, you know, substantially, um, you know, um, substantial improvements made to scalability and reductions to storage, et cetera, you know, while maintaining security. And, 
when you use this new technology, all you have to do is just like run a different set of commands, right? You know, you won't have to like uh, develop, you won't have to learn how to develop a new language. You won't have to learn how to execute like a whole bunch of like complicated instructions. All you have to do is run a new instruction set that we will walk you through like step by step. So, you know, fundamentally, even though the technology is um, changing quite a bit underneath, for the developer themselves, there's not really much change at all. And that was a very, very important um, thing for us that we didn't want to, you know, like impede upon um, the, the developer user experience because there are actually a bunch of optimizations that we could make um, that would impend, impede on um, like the developer user experience where technically speaking, like these optimizations make sense, but we kind of had to make a commercial decision that we didn't want to like impede on, on developers on the Phantom network. And so if you're a new developer, you deploy the Phantom network using your existing Ethereum skills, you take advantage of the base chain security. You don't have to worry about creating your own subnet or application chain. If your application gets too popular, all you, all, all you have to worry about is running your application and improving your application, getting users for your application and all the benefits that I kind of outlined down the line, you know, to do with the FBM, to do with, you know, new story system, to do with like consensus improvements, you all get that for free. And so that really is like the selling point that we're trying to emphasize to, you know, the uh, developer community out there. By the way, I forgot to ask you exactly when is um, FVM slated to launch? Was it a, a Q3 testnet deployment? I think you might have mentioned that at Quantum Miami. Yeah, I think um, the, the, the aim, talking to the team, uh, talking to Bernard, who leads our project, who you know, is a professor in programming languages and so has spent decades you know, in, this, uh, in this virtual machine space, our kind of aim right now is for Q4 2023 launch. So we want to get this new technology out there or, or a version of it by the end of the year. That is absolutely our job objective at the moment. The team is optimistic about it. They're working very hard on a few other things that I mentioned before, like you know archival nodes. So we haven't done the optimization for all kinds of nodes now, but we have one already one type and the results have been very promising. So you know, this is not technology that I'm talking about theoretically you know, in the sky that's coming down 10 years down the line. No, no, yeah. we, we aim to get it done this year. I wanted to ask as well, like we've seen a lot of um, like L2s, like for example, like Polygon implement like ZK products. And we've also seen like, I guess quite a lot of hype around ZK and, 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 you know, the benefits that that can offer. Is it, is Phantom ever considered like integrating some sort of like zero knowledge proof um, or, or like optimistic roll up? Obviously it's pretty early in the technology, but is that something you guys have considered? Yeah, no, we definitely have. And we've, we've talked to a few teams about it. And currently the conclusion that we've come down to is <clears throat> we're, we're kind of like looking into building out our own like zero knowledge, like proof team, right? And what would be like the benefit of zero knowledge proof technology? Well, fundamentally, you know, there's two like main benefits. One is being able to like, you know, uh, submit transactions, you know, in, in a more private manner than is like possible on a public net. Uh, the second benefit has to do with like potentially um, potential optimizations as well. Because theoretically, you know, if you can generate like a zero knowledge proof of like one machine and then share the proof to, you know, all other machines or validators in the network, then you don't need to have all other validators replicating exactly the same transaction. Right? All they need to do is check that the proof is correct. Now, that being said, zero knowledge, and my background is not in zero knowledge proofs at all. So my understanding of it is quite rudimentary, is that right now for simple transactions, it works quite well. But for any like complicated smart contract transactions, that require a lot of computation. Actually, generating zero knowledge proof uh, for that given transaction is actually can, is actually um, uh, consumes a lot of resources, right? And so, for us, like we think the technology is still quite early, but it's it's an area that we have been investigating ourselves at a bit of a high level. We're not actively working on anything zero knowledge proof related, though. Uh, to be clear, at the moment, because we've got yeah. a lot of other optimization to work down the line, but we are looking to potentially hire a few people, and we do have a few candidates in mind, actually. Okay. Cool. Um, I've just got a couple more questions because I know I know you've got to head off. You're a busy man. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask was about like what do you think of Harry Ye's uh, DApps? So obviously like we had Tomb, um, and we had like a bunch of protocols that he launched, and now he's um kind of moved on to like uh, promoting life and that kind of stuff. Do you have any uh, specific opinion on on his work and, and also his involvement with Phantom? Yeah, I mean you know he, he he's been quite a bit uh, supportive of Phantom you know, financially and also like promotional wise, you know, he helped us with, you know, the founder developer conference that took place in October, 2021. Um, obviously he organized um, the Bitcoin Miami conference in, you know, January, 2022. And also um, last month, the conference that I was at as well. 
Um, so, you know, I do appreciate that, like, level of support. In terms of these, like, applications, I mean, like, he's recently launched, um, like, a GMX book, I think. Um, I haven't really looked that much into it. But essentially, you know, if you can create sustainable applications on the Phantom Network that generate, you know, users and transaction volume over time, then, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. I, I think the problem with, like, Tomb is that, you know, it was never, it's not, not really sustainable. It doesn't have a sustainable mm -hmm. model. Um, there were, like, I think, potential changes that he could have made to it to have made it, like, a lot more sustainable. But, you know, unfortunately, that didn't take place. But, you know, if he can create something that's sustainable, say, with the GMS fork, then that's great. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see, like, how, how it works in the end. Yeah, I think, yeah, T Tomb obviously had underlying flaws and that it wasn't just Tomb, it was a lot of DeFi protocols at the time. And I think what happened was yeah. the macro switch very quickly. When macro switches, liquidity starts coming out of these ecosystems. Even if your plan is to pivot, if you don't do it really, really quickly, it's basically impossible to like maintain any sort of momentum. So like, I don't know. It was yeah, kind of like, it caught, exactly a lot, right. I think it caught a lot of DeFi off guard last year. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I agree with that. So, all right, I think that's basically it. The last thing I wanted to ask you is, yeah, what, what are you most looking forward to in the next in the next few years on the Phantom side? Anything like, specifically that you're really, really looking forward to? Well, like, you know, myself, like, maybe it's because I have a bit of a technology background, but I'm, I'm really, really interested in technology improvements that are coming down the line. I mean, you know, we kind of like shared a few of those numbers. We have other numbers that we're kind of working through that we'd like to share as well, where the numbers look really, really good. I'm very, like, interested in to see, like, these optimizations actually deployed on the mainnet because in the end you don't really know how something works until it's actually deployed on the mainnet right and you know to some extent there's always like testing and prod right but we want to do as much testing beforehand before we put it into production but i think you know the improvements can be very very substantial i think there'll be game changers for us i think a lot of these bottlenecks that people kind of experience in the phantom network because there are still you know um bottlenecks and, and, and things that haven't been optimized, obviously, with the existing technology. I think a lot of those will be probably history over the next couple of years. And so I'm really optimistic about the underlying technology. And that should really help further differentiate us from, you know, a more and more competitive L1 and L2 so-called field that's out there. Awesome. Well, looking forward to see how it develops. And of course, maybe later in the year or, you know, sometime soon as we like head into the, to the FVM stuff, I'll have you back on the show and you can give us some give us some updates on everything yeah sure i appreciate that yeah i'm always looking forward to sharing more news when when it's ready awesome well i appreciate your time michael i thought it was a i thought it was a great chat um and yeah really insightful and yeah looking forward to, to speaking to you again yeah thanks a lot miles for your time as well yeah really appreciate it awesome see you later wow that was a big chat guys um in the meantime i'm gonna maybe answer some questions so if you have any any comments feel free to put it in the, or any questions, feel free to put it in the comments and I'll get to answering some of them. I'll just stay on for like another five to 10 minutes, maybe do some charting, look at Bitcoin, where we currently sit. Obviously, we got a chart phantom um, because, you know, we just had a big discussion about the, the future of the phantom network and yeah, maybe just digest things a little bit. So um, thank you guys for, for saying that you enjoyed the interview. I thought it was really cool. There's a lot of takeaways actually. Um, there was a lot. Of, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rewatch this show probably afterwards and i'm gonna put it into dot point form and probably put it on my twitter as a little summary for you guys in terms of um in terms of some of the stuff michael was saying obviously fvm it's it's really um i would say make or break for phantom but it doesn't sound like um it it, it has a very high probability of breaking the network it seems like it's a it's more of like a make and take scenario so it's going to be exciting to see how um fvm uh, you know, changes the landscape of Phantom. Obviously, it's going to make the network a lot faster. A lot of cool storage upgrades as well. I thought it was really, really interesting to hear about Andre, actually. One of the biggest things he said was, you know, Andre is actually more involved now than ever with like FUSD. He brought new ideas to the table, like gas monetization. So that's really cool to actually hear that, you know, not only is Andre back, he's actually back bigger than ever. I think, you know, given Andre's talent, that's huge for the network. Um, yeah, so many interesting things, like in terms of them going into gaming, to keep building a ZK team. Um, you know, certainly it's not an unexciting time for Phantom. I mean, they're, they're certainly doing quite a lot. Um, yeah, interested to see how it pans out. Um, obviously, full disclosure, I hold some Phantom in my long-term positions. It's also a token that, you know, I also enjoy trading um, because when this thing rips, it absolutely rips, I think. And obviously, Michael's not going to comment on, on price targets or anything because he's, you know, invested in the network and he has a, 
um, underlying kind of responsibility to his stakeholders not to not to make price predictions, but I can because I'm a I'm a creator. I can, I'm allowed to share my price predictions. So you know, Phantom to one dollar. Um, well, in order for that to happen, and although I think like it has a very very strong chance of happening one day, in order for that to happen in the in the shorter term, um, there's a few key levels I'm looking at. I think the obvious key level here is 65 cents for Phantom. That's obviously major resistance. It's where we previously topped out, starting to form kind of more of a bearish um formation here on the like higher time frames on the four hourly and daily. Um, we can see, you know, obviously we put in the highs and then we made, you know, a lower high. And then we also struggled to break out above that previous range as well. So this is technically, um, you know, slightly bearish on the higher time frame. But at the same time, you also have um, this diagonal uh, support line and you can kind of draw it in um, e exhibiting a um, obviously the low here, but then also a higher low here. So with Phantom, in terms of actually uh, clearing this level, that's super important. What you want to see is us flip the 53 52 to 53 cent level um retest and then look to break this level we really do need to break 58 cents though for a dollar to even be on the cards in the shorter term obviously that's going to rely on bitcoin um which is currently below its wedge if bitcoin gets that break of 25 that um it's been you know constantly teasing us with then yeah clearly phantom does have um does have significant you know upside to not only clear the 58 cent level but look to to sweep that 65 level and push up towards um the, the dollar region but that also may be something that doesn't happen on this run let's see what happens all we can do is kind of judge based on um you know pr current price movement and then uh you know adjust our probabilities and our price targets based on what the market is telling us and right now it's telling us there's still a couple key levels that we need to clear um, but that is obviously in the short term in terms of the general market at the moment bitcoin is at a pretty key level as well um this is on the four hourly chart we can see that we did break below the wedge formation we had a retest we almost went you know in on on on, on the hourly candle and then we also um you know rejected back to the downside and we look to be testing again that is in terms of the breakdown uh from the wedge but if we remove the diagonal and kind of look uh more horizontally at how bitcoin's performing price action wise there is something very key and that's the fact that even amongst you know all that kind of you know war news and and you know uh fomc minutes panic and then pce stuff coming later in the year we still didn't actually make a lower low with bitcoin we still made a higher low which was positive as you can see you know we made a low at 23.3 and then we made now a low at 23.5 so actually although the retrace was maybe bigger than a lot of people were expecting it wasn't as bearish as i think some of the sentiment on twitter would indicate um it was a significant pullback and amongst altcoins for sure it was but you know until we actually clear um, the, the previous lows, then technically, you know, this is a higher low. So I think the next key level for Bitcoin to reclaim is that 24.4 region. It already has flipped uh, 24 back into support. This is obviously a key level to hold, but if it can come up and test 24, then obviously you can look to come and test range highs again. I will say the longer it takes for us not to break 25K, um, the, the, the less likelihood that we will break. But in terms of the macro environment, you know, there is a lot of, um, not just FUD, but I guess genuine concern right now in terms of sentiment, not only in Bitcoin and general markets. Like the reason we got the pullback was, you know, for three main reasons. One of them was equities pullback. So when you had the US market pullback um, and also the Asia markets pullback, that's clearly going to lead um, to, to a general um, Bitcoin market sell-off. Two, you had a lot of uh, big like macro news in terms of the, the monetary side of things this week. Obviously, the FOMC minutes yesterday, then the PCE on Friday, they're pretty big dates. And then three, you have you know the looming threat of some of the stuff happening in, in Ukraine and Russia, which you know political tensions are super high. That's obviously going to result in de-risking of equities. And as we saw uh, post-CPI, equities were buoyant, at least in the short term, relative to like the, the two-year treasury yield rate and relative to other um other asset classes so that, that kind of there was a bit of a decoupling there bitcoin actually led front run equities even you know even stronger than um the share market the s&p so it was slightly overextended if you want to look in those terms so the reason for the sell-off makes complete sense then that's why i'm not really so worried right now um but obviously you know we do have to keep our eye on the 24 region um obviously it's a level that bitcoin would love to hold in order to maintain bullish price momentum yeah i'll just go through a couple more questions now thank you kim for saying that you enjoyed the show i quickly also want to um, remind you guys if you want to sign up for an okx account to trade any crypto there's a ten thousand dollar mystery box giveaway so if you click the link in the description sign up for an account deposit fifty dollars you can open a mystery box up to ten thousand dollars i say up to ten thousand dollars because chances are you're going to get five dollars ten dollars maybe even fifty dollars 
So, you know, there's no guarantees, but there technically is a chance you could win up to 10K. So there's a link in the description to that. And of course, we have seven, no, not seven, because February ends on the 28th. Five days, only five days in this Rolex giveaway. So if you want to win a Rolex, um, sign up for either a Bybit account or a BitGet account, and every single trade equals an entry. So 20 trades equals 20 entries in theory. Um, also make sure you're in the Discord, but I'm sure most of you are as well. So links in the description to those um, sites and obviously KyberSwap if you want to trade on a DEX. So I'm just going to go look, see if any of you have any questions based on today. Once again, I said I'll go through my, um, I'll go through the interview again and write some dot points and summarize it on my Twitter. I thought, um, yeah, his thoughts on on storage are actually super interesting. How you know a lot of their uh, a lot of their manpower is actually going towards storage optimization, which I think makes a lot of sense. Is MPX still Bay? Well, I think in terms of the Phantom ecosystem, and I'll get up my my ecosystem list now. Um, you know, obviously it's heavily reliant on on Phantom specific price movement. Uh, but yeah, I do have a, a few Phantom projects on my watch list. Like if we do clear this next level at fifty two cents, flip that. Uh, and and confirm above on let's say the four hourly and there's a bit of an indication Bitcoin wants to head higher yeah I think Phantom ecosystem is definitely something I'm I'm open to trading um you know in that ecosystem there's a few things I look at obviously you know Equalizer um MPX I think Rave's interesting as a bit more of a DGen one I think Juice Finance is a higher cap one's good um you know relative to other ecosystems these are pretty low cap though so yeah this is super risky stuff this eco like MPX doesn't even have its market cap listed but you know it's something I'll look at. Uh, maybe I'll look at buying if if Phantom um exhibits bullish price action. I must be clear though, you know that's only if Phantom um exhibits bullish price action. I'm not gonna like let's say we get rejected here. Why would I ape into any of the eco when you know it's clear we're we're gonna come down even lower? So I want confirmation um and then you know a bullish price action from Phantom and not only Phantom but I also want to see Bitcoin um subsequently and probably this will happen in Confluence flip its 24.5 level if this starts to happen for uh, this level for Bitcoin and this level for Phantom then I will look to enter some positions and then I also have the the other strategy the other approach of okay if Phantom comes down to n- the next level of support then at 42 cents then I think we do see a response that's when I'll enter some positions so it's for me it's either buying on confirmation to the upside or buying after a significant pullback instead of buying in what i would consider is no man's land although you can kind of draw in like potentially support around this zone um which i think is valid uh it's not like super super strong range support like um historical support like the like the 40 cent ish level you like liquid driver yeah liquid driver is great like governance um governance hunters essentially uh yeah they're, they're, they're doing a lot of stuff but i think a lot of these protocols, not just Liquid Driver, um, a lot of them are like very Phantom like specific. So they are going to rely on Phantom price action. So basically, you just chart Phantom, and if you want to get into the eco based on Phantom, then you, you you can do that. I don't think it's a terrible idea. You agree with Corey Joby? Yeah. So anyway, really interesting show on on the on the Phantom stuff. Once again, gonna have to look through it again. Really enjoyed it. Rand did an interview with Sandeep from Matic yesterday. So we've had a couple of big updates from Big L1s. Sandeep was quite, I would say, abrasive in terms of his approach to dismissing other um, other L1s. I think he said something like, and this video is circulating on Twitter, he doesn't think any other L1 apart from uh, ETH and Matic and maybe one other L2 will succeed, which was a big comment that I will publicly come out and disagree with. I view the future as multi-chain. I view, you know, multiple L1 ecosystems having their own niche. I think Solana could have its own niche. Phantom could have its own niche. And you know, maybe an AVAX has its own niche. Aptos or Sui, maybe some of these newer chains, like say in the trading space, you know, have their own niche. I don't think we can necessarily like dismiss um, the improvements that L1s can offer to the scalability of Ethereum and and therefore like the, the incentives that developers are going to have to develop on those ecosystems. So, I am a big proponent in, in the multi-chain thesis, but I, I completely respect Sandeep's opinion that he might not be, but you know that kind of is in line with maybe what, what Polygon is working on specifically. So yeah, really enjoy it, Kim, as well. Um, really appreciate your, your support. And yeah, of course, the, the normal ones in here, like Will um, and Joby and some of the others as well. Thank you guys for joining. So... Miles isn't even listening. I listened the whole time. I just like to, I was just um getting like my charts and visual references up on the other screen because yeah. Also Michael's face. So I'm, if I'm looking at the camera right now, um, this is like, I'm not actually looking at Michael. I'm looking at you. So Michael's actually there. So if it looks like I'm not looking at him. It's actually because I'm seeing him here on my screen. 
but you're actually up there because my camera's above my 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 uh, monitor. Just yeah, obviously my camera's not going to be in the middle of my monitor, and it's a massive. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's a massive like forty five inch, and I can show you actually. It's a massive like forty five inch Samsung um monitor, so it's absolutely huge. Um, hence. Hence why it's hard to look in one place. All right, cool. I think we're going to head off now. Tomorrow, I will update you guys on the market. i got a market update coming out tomorrow morning as usual. And then on Saturday, I have a show dropping about OpenSea versus Blur and a potential OpenSea airdrop. And then on Sunday, I'm releasing a show about the ways that ChatGPT can make you a better crypto trader. Because I've actually started to use ChatGPT a lot more in my own, um, not just trading, but also like um, just I mean, I mean, in general life, there's just so many use cases that I've found for like ChatGPT to just either give me ideas from a creative point of view or use it to um, help with more technical stuff that I wouldn't be able to do on my own. So I'm going to do a video on that. I think maybe you guys will find that interesting. Um, but until then, um, you're a computer geek. Yeah, I mean, I'm, if you're a computer geek, you'll hate the fact I'm using a Mac. But um, I don't know. I'm just a Mac guy. So and I can see Palace shake your head as well. Um, yeah, you'll hate the fact I'm using a Mac, but the Samsung's really cool. We also got the L- LG C2 behind us. Nice 65-inch OLED panel. So that's um that's that's a real sweet one as well. And obviously, the whole room's Philip Hue lighting. I don't know. I'm a bit of a tech nerd as well. All right, awesome. I will see you guys in the next show, uh, which is tomorrow. And until then, have a lovely day. Peace out.